0: Drug abuse can take over your life and wreak havoc on your mental and financial health. Today's guest, Bill from Wealth Well Done, served a decade-long prison sentence for a drug-related charge and had to build his financial life from scratch. This episode is a story about redemption, resilience, and rebuilding. Hope you enjoy the show, the mental health and wealth show, the mental health and wealth show, the mental health and wealth show. Thank you so much for listening to the mental health and wealth show. This is host Melanie Locker. And first of all, I want to acknowledge that you are brave and amazing for being here. Getting ready to listen to a show about mental health and money is not easy. And I know you are ready for these amazing conversations. But before you listen, I want to let you know that all of my content is based on my own personal experience with mental health and money, as well as the experiences and expertise of my guests. I'm not a mental health professional or a financial professional, so content should not be considered professional, medical, or financial advice. As a trigger warning, please note that content on the show may include sensitive topics around mental health and suicide. So if you're currently in distress, Please get in touch with a professional by texting HOME to 741-741. Thank you so much and enjoy the show. Hello, this is Melanie Lockhart, host of the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Today, I'm chatting with Bill from Wealth Well Done. He has an inspiring story about changing his life, starting over. Bill was abusing drugs. He served a decade in prison, and now he's focused on building wealth. Thank you for coming to the show.
1: Hey, thanks so much for having me on, Melanie. I'm excited about this. Let's dive in. Let's talk about drugs, debt, building wealth, becoming free, finding (laughs) happiness, because that's what I'm all about here.
0: Yes, I love it. I love it. So let's just dive right in and get to the nitty gritty. You have such an inspiring story that I'm so excited to share with people. So You know, many young people have an experimentation phase with drugs. Maybe when they're younger, they try a few things, a little bit of weed, a little bit of whatever, you know, it's, it's common, but it sounds like it went a little bit beyond that for you to the point of drug abuse. And I know that drug abuse has huge implications on your mental and financial health. And I want you to kind of describe, like, tell me a little bit more about your story with drugs.
1: Yeah, totally. I probably, well, I, I tried smoking pot for the first time when I was 14 years old. And you know what? I liked it. It, mm-hmm. it was an escape from where, you know, all 14 year olds going through a difficult time in school and making friends and, and finding yourself. And, and that was challenging, but I got high and I went to a place where I felt was an exciting cool happy place and it was the first like adult decision I ever felt like I met like made like my parents weren't there to tell me what to do school wasn't there to tell me what to do like I did this and I liked it yeah and when you like something and I didn't see any consequences at first like nobody went to jail nobody you know dropped out of school and when you like something you continue to do it and so I thought well if I like weed then let's try the next thing that came around which is probably snorting some type of powder like a a prescription pill maybe. And then there was LSD and mushrooms. And I just kind of climbed that drug pyramid to the very top when I eventually got arrested at 20 years old.
0: Wow. That sounds like such a journey. And I love what you said about kind of experiencing something new and making this adult decision at 14. Like, I feel like people do drugs. Cause I've thought about this myself. I'm like, people abuse drugs and alcohol, or even just, you know, enjoy them without quote, abusing them because it's a way to escape yourself. It's a way to escape your reality. And, you know, something that I've thought is like, you can never really escape yourself. You can't take a vacation from your own mind. And if your mind isn't serving you in a way that is healthy, like, of course, an escape feels good. Right.
1: Yeah, and that's totally it. And, and I get this now. I didn't at the time, but I get this now that when I was, like, younger as a teenager, I thought I wasn't necessarily escaping. Like, I thought drugs were helping me find maybe what I was looking for. Mm, and it was giving me, like, you know, a deeper experience than what I could find in, in normal life. And that's why I continued to go down that path. I mean, now I look back and I realize, like, the drug experiences I had were, were all lies. It was It was fake. You know, Hmm. it was the easy, you know, I I say this now, it was the easy way out. The hard way out is working hard in school, getting a job, starting a business, you know, saving your money. That's hard. But you compare that to giving $5 to a friend to give you some drugs and you take off like a jet plane. (laughs) Yeah. Like that was easy. Yeah. But it was fake at the same time. And that's the mistake I made was thinking something that was real was really ultimately fake.
0: Mm, that is so fascinating. I love that you mentioned that because I feel like, yeah, I think people do drugs because they want this kind of alternate reality. They want some answers. And maybe for some people, that's what they get depending on the context. But a lot of people, yeah, it's like this fake, illusory sort of experience that feels really good, but ultimately can have dangerous consequences and you know, have a huge impact on your mental and financial health. So how did abusing drugs affect both your mental and financial health?
1: Uh, so I, I got arrested at 21. So I was still relatively young at the time. I was a college student, so I was kind of living two different f- lives, and they were both kind of you know fake. Is I had the one life where I tried to do what looked normal to society, what my parents wanted me to do, and then I had the other life, which was, hey. I'm going to take risks. I'm going to try things. And if it makes me feel good, then I'm going to do it because ultimately I'm the one that is living my life. So it's hard to tell what the financial consequences were just because I was young. You know, I didn't have a career yet. I didn't have a lot of money. I mean, you factor it up and you know, I probably wasted like, you know, thousands of dollars without even realizing it. And this is a money show. So I had a job, you know, when I was 16 doing different things and of the thousands of dollars that I made during that time went to using drugs and what do I have to show for it now? You know, now I look back understanding compounding and I'm like, wow, if I would have taken that five grand I made as a high school job and done something with it that to, to grow that. I mean, we're talking, you know, mega millions in my 40s and 50s, but I screwed that up. So
0: yeah, I could have invested it, but you know, we spent it on drugs. And I feel like that's something that a lot of people don't realize is, you know, when we're Spending so much money on alcohol and drugs it feels really good in the moment, but we're not really thinking of like what we could be doing with that money that could be better for our future selves, right? It's like we're paying that cost because it feels good now, but really, you know, not doing that would feel good later and be better for you later.
1: Yeah, and totally. And I just had a thought when I thought deeper on this, you know, I didn't maybe really experienced the money problem yet because I didn't have a job like a full-time job I didn't have a career I hadn't graduated with but you know what I sacrificed on less the money I sacrificed on the quality of my character Mm
0: -hmm.
1: because in order to use drugs you have to lie to a lot of people and the more you lie the less you become a person you really want to be and I think that's where drug use really impacted me was How many times did I have to lie to my parents to get away with it? How many times did I have to pretend I was somebody I wasn't so that I could get something out of them, even from an employer, even though if I went and did my job, ultimately, I'm pretending that I'm somebody that they like when I'm really not that. And I think I had a lot of shame in that eventually of just, man, I was, even though I didn't maybe necessarily lie to a lot of people in their face, I was a liar because I was pretending I was somebody I wasn't. And so that's where, you know, drug abuse really, I look back with a lot of regret was I sacrificed my character of who I who I really was and the, the potential I had.
0: Yeah. And I think that really leads to this kind of cycle of shame because you know that you are sacrificing your character. You know that you're lying to people. And internally, you know, with your moral compass, that feels like an awful thing to do. There's shame that comes on board. And then to deal with that additional shame, Let's escape with drugs even more. And it's just a cycle that then you do the drugs and then you have to keep lying and then you feel bad and then you do drugs to get rid of the shame. And it's just a terrible cycle.
1: Yeah. And that that was the, you know, when I went to jail, it was one of the most wake up things was like, it was a moment when I, I realized like, wow, I don't have to lie anymore. Like mm-hmm. we, we'll get into that part of my story. But that was such a liberating moment where Really, the drug abuse lifestyles is, is you're putting band-aids over everything, hoping that people don't find out who you really are. So you're, you're always making excuses. You're always pretending somebody you're not. If you're hungover, you're pretending you're feeling good when you're really not. And you're just trying to band-aid your life up, hopefully to get away with the next whatever thing you got coming up. And I remember when I got arrested, it was just like, I don't want to live that life anymore. I'm tired of being confused and running and lying and, you know, it was just, that's the the character flaws are what really like made me go crazy eventually. So,
0: yeah. So it sounds like you going to prison at 21 was obviously a huge turning point in your life that affected, you know, the way your life was going to go forward. Can you kind of zoom in on that moment and tell us whatever details you feel comfortable with about that moment in time, like, what were you feeling when you got arrested? What were the thoughts going in your brain? And then how did that experience, you know, being in prison for a decade affect your mental health? Because I can't imagine being so young, being so full of opportunity in life, and then immediately having that cut off for a decade. And to not really be able to build your life in a way that you want, and you're kind of um, stuck in this world with in prison, which I don't really know anything about the culture in prison, but what I do know, it doesn't sound great. So I'd love to hear, you know, more about that particular part of your story.
1: Yeah. So I think we should break this down into three parts or going can be overwhelming. And one is <laughs> yeah. what I went to, pr- what I went to prison for, what was prison like, and then how I got out and you know, fill in the questions there. So I'll just, Sum it up in 60 seconds or less here, I was in college, I'd been using drugs for a long time, I was partying with a friend, he walked home and died in his sleep. The next morning, uh, I wake up, I go to school and I come back and I hear he's he's passed away, he's, he's dead. Mm-hmm. And, and now I'm the only one left alive to answer to all this police break down my door and there I am standing and eventually charged with reckless homicide by delivery of a controlled substance oh and God. then sentence of yeah yeah i mean the, the, the most nightmare experience you possibly can you know i always i always minimize my behavior thinking like well if i get caught it's just the first time you know everybody'll get a slap on the wrist but what i never factored in is situation z can happen situation z is something you're totally not expecting that Unfortunately, an amazing person lost her life. And now I'm in the shock stage to want to, you know, figure this out. So that's what I went to prison for. I was eventually sentenced to 10 years in prison for my very first time in trouble. And then I just had to figure figure it out. Because when you go to jail, nobody tells you what to do. Nobody cares. They throw you in there and say, good luck. And your release date will be in 10 years. And uh, we'll see you then.
0: Oh, my gosh. That is so much to process. And I feel myself getting overwhelmed, you know, just hearing about that because it's so emotional. I can't, and I can't imagine having this duality of emotions where you're dealing with the grief and shock of the passing of your friend, which is obviously horrific and grief is overwhelming, but then also the shock that you got in trouble for something that you never thought that you would get in trouble for. And then suddenly you're paying very, very steep consequences. And I I can imagine that that was just beyond comprehension and and what was going on in your brain and your mental health must have been something just pure survival mode and like shock and like what was it like those first days in prison?
1: Yeah, like you're totally on board with it. It was looking back on it now, it was it was shock. It was disbelief, it was it was survival mode. And and that shock and survival mode probably lasted good th- two three four years oh, yeah i mean because it just gets it gets worse i mean you go to jail and then you get sent to prison and they ship you to prison now you got to figure out prison life and like it it never ended there was never a moment where you go okay i need to go on a vacation here and just process my thoughts uh that doesn't happen it just kept going so i i think i The survival mode that I personally went into was like, okay, my brain instantly sorted out what I can control, what I can't control, and the emotions I should avoid. So the survival mode I saw is let's look at what I can control. I can control my attitude. I can control what I want to learn. I can control who I want to be in the future. What I can't control, I can't control where I am. I can't control how the district attorney, the attorneys, the judge is going to judge me because I can't impact that. I can't impact my sentence. And then uh, I forgot what the third thing was, but, oh, the attitude I would have and and the emotions I wanted to accept, you know, Mm -hmm. because I'm sure there was anger in there and anger at myself and anger at the situation. And and there's disbelief and there's anger at the police for not at least, you know, talking to me and, and understanding this is a horrible mistake. And, but I realized like anger, sadness will get me nowhere. Nobody cares about how I feel right now. So I at least have to say, well, I'm going to slow it down and I'll I'll say this and you can follow up with a question. But my very first day in jail, I had a cellmate that was in there and I don't even think he knew what I was in there. But he's like, man, as long as you don't have a life sentence, they can't hold you forever in here. And my brain latched onto that. Like, I don't know when I'm getting out, but one day. I will get out and I have to focus on that day and not the day that put me in here with all the the grief and everything. And so that's what it is I focused on who am I going to be when I get out.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you obviously experienced a lot of the five stages of grief like for years and years. You know, I think that it sounds like you really kind of latched on to this glimmer of hope, this release date, which I think, you know, when we're going through something so traumatic and so shocking, we have to kind of hold on for dear life for that little glimmer of hope. Like, I honestly think, you know, in my mental health journey and the people that I've talked to, we need hope. Hope is a survival mechanism. Like without hope, people don't find the reason to keep going. And so I'm so glad that you latched onto that. And just one quick question I wanted to ask, you obviously had to get sober at this time too, right? When you were in prison. So suddenly you didn't have that to kind of self-medicate or even, you know, help you with all of that.
1: Yeah. And immediately, you know, was, uh, just like when I listened to you and your debt journey, I imagine there was some point where you're like, I don't want to keep adding more debt to get myself out of the debt situation. And for me, it wasn't debt. It was drugs. And I immediately saw normal people don't end up in jail my decision making is flawed for me to even get here and you know what the decision making i had around drugs was what put me here so immediately i was like i have to eliminate that puzzle piece from my life for me to get anywhere like it is not okay this is being in jail is not okay it's not acceptable under any circumstances so immediately i was like i have to remove that but then the next thing was was and i'm i'm sure if you're you know i have an extreme case but if you're in debt too it's like Well, once you say, I'm not going to be in debt anymore, I'm sick and tired of it, then there's also a gap of like, well, who am I going to be next? And how do I find my identity? And for me, it was like, how do I find my identity without using drugs? Because that's all I knew, like was making bad decisions. And so there was probably a gap of six months where it was a self soul searching period where I had to say like, okay, who am I going to be next? And uh, it took me a while and that's how I got there. So
0: I love that. And I I think, you know, you touched on a really important point that we have to remove these kind of negative influences. But then there is this feeling of kind of grief and mourning that you're giving up this part of your life. Like, I remember the last couple of months before I paid off my $81,000 in student loan debt, I was feeling really weird because I was like, I don't know who I am without debt how am I going to run this debt blog? Like, are people going to even like me? Are they going to listen to me? Who, like, I don't even know how to feel. And I was starting to feel really uncomfortable. And I was like, this should be one of the happiest moments of my life. And it it was eventually, but you know, for the couple of months leading up to my debt payoff, I was feeling so weird and and like mourning this person that I was because I realized I had never not been in debt my whole adult life. I took student loans when I was 17. I paid them off, I think when I was 31, 32, and, you know, it's like, I've never even realized what it's like to be an adult without debt.
1: And, and I'm just thinking about it now, the process of that soul searching moment for somebody struggling with debt is, I'm sure it's a it's a tough pill to swallow when you realize I have to sell that car because that car payment is unhealthy for me. And everybody knows me for my beautiful Mercedes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all of a sudden you look at your McMansion or whatever he has that is killing you financially. And you're like man, it's smarter for me to get rid of that. But what are people going to think when I move to a smaller home? Like That's what I'm talking about, that soul-searching period of like reevaluating everything and then being willing to be different. And that was so hard because I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to live a life without drugs. I didn't even know how to have fun without drugs. Mm. And now, I, but I knew that was the better thing for me. So I was going to have to accept a new sense of norms And a new sense of identity that it's cool not to use drugs. You know, that was for me, but, or, or it's cool not to have a McMansion. It's cool not to have an expensive car. It's cool not to have all the designer clothes. Your clothes from last year will work just fine. Like that's finding your new identity.
0: Yeah. Whenever you're making such a huge shift in your life, I think you have to really break out of the status quo and, that can be really difficult because being in the status quo obviously feels comforting, feels safe, like everyone's doing it. But then when you're doing something that no one else is doing or very few people are doing, it's overwhelming. Like, oh my gosh, I'm going to walk on this road alone. Like I remember before I discovered debt blogs, I was like, I don't even know one person in my life that's actually paid off debt. (laughs) So, you know, it felt frightening, but I think taking that first step, requires so much courage and then you know if you stay the course you can find happiness at the end but it really takes a lot of courage and fortitude to even start
1: yeah and when you were talking i wrote down that same word courage and i think it takes confidence mm, and mm-hmm. and the problem is you don't have the confidence right away but you have to quickly find that confidence that you can do it you can take an insurmountable goal of paying off $81,000 and somehow you don't know how you're going to do it, but you can do it. And it was the same uh, courage and confidence I had to find within those first six months of jail and prison. Like, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but one day I'm going to get out of here and I'm going to be way better than the person that came in. And anybody who judging me right now for where I am, I'm going to have my chance to like prove that I was better than the dumb decisions that put me into this jam. And uh, I don't know where that courage and confidence came from. I'm a spiritual guy. You know, I was in prayer the whole time. I was journaling. I was searching. But that's the courage and the confidence that I had that anybody has to have to dig themselves out of the hole that I can do it against all odds.
0: I love that. I think that's so inspiring. And I'm glad that you touched on the word confidence because actually I've been thinking a lot about confidence the past couple of years because... I've typically had low self-esteem and, you know, I'm like, how do you even be confident? I don't know. And there's this whole kind of like fake it till you make it and all these like hacks and they didn't really work for me. They kind of worked, but it was like a band aid. And what I realized what's helped me actually be confident in a real way is doing scary things that are out of my comfort zone and then realizing, oh, I didn't die. I didn't fail. Like, that was fine. And then you do another scary thing and then the world doesn't end. And you're like, Oh, I just did this really scary thing. And like, everything's fine. And then you keep little by little doing these scary, frightening things that you feel like the world's going to end. People are going to judge you. Everything's going to go to hell. And then it's totally fine. And then that has helped me build confidence because I do things that are so scary for me and I just do it. And then I realize everything's fine. And I was totally worrying for no reason. And that helps me build confidence little by little that I can do this. I can do whatever. I can, you know, manage whatever comes my way.
1: You hit it dead on. I think the the seeds of confidence start with trying small, attainable, scary things, realizing you don't die, and then realizing, whoa, you know, some of them don't always work to my benefit, but some of these risks really work to my benefit and they helped me. And then you're like, whoa, if I could do that, then I do the next one. I think for me in jail, it was simple as like, I started a journal and I could write a page in my journal every day. And I could do that. And then I, I could learn how to be happy in jail. That was another confidence builder, like learning how to wake up and at least be, not I wasn't happy, but I could be peaceful and content and wait my time. And once I did that, then you you survive your first night in jail you f- survive your first month you f- survive your first year and before you know it you're like okay I'm ready to go I can rock this thing
0: I love that and you know I wanted to talk a little bit more about kind of your growth journey and your experience in prison so you spent a decade in prison from 21 I think to 31 and yep. I'm just thinking about my own life from 21 to 31 and those were my most formative years. So many things happened, so many things changed. I feel like I had four different lives in that decade. And so I'm curious how this decade in prison affected you when in that time frame, 20s to 30s is such a formative time. Like, did you feel like your development wasn't as progressed or did you um progress in a different way in prison? I'm just curious.
1: Yeah. I would say I was really slowed down to my real life development because when you're in jail, you're frozen in time. Um, you don't move on from when you're 21, and, and that's what I really felt bad about. Guys in jails who got locked up when they were 16, 17, 18, because they were like teenagers forever. And uh, so I was slowed down that way. When I got out, I didn't know. I forgot how to drive a car. I'd never. I had, didn't know like a lot of the adult things. I didn't know how to get insurance or, or you know, get a real career job. I didn't know how to do any of that. But I think on my mental and emotional development, I think I was really further ahead because I'd, you know, part of growth and evolution as a person is to fail and figure how you pick yourself back up from failure because everybody will fail. Everyone will have things that don't go right for themselves. And I think there's such a learning process of when things don't go right for you, that you know that you learn that you can pick yourself back up. And so, when I got out, I didn't have a lot of the life skills, but I knew I could pick myself back up from a tragedy better than, well, as good as anybody could possibly do.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that obviously helped build your confidence in a different way. And you know, I wanted to touch on that. So you got out of prison after serving 10 years. You had to completely start over and start at square one. What were those first steps that you took to build your new life?
1: Well, remember, it goes back from the 10 years I was in there because every day I was thinking about one day I'm going to get out of here. And when I am, I'm going to be the most prepared person that exists on planet Earth. Who knows if I was, but that was my goal. That was my confidence. And so I prepared for those 10 years. So when I finally got out, it was almost like showtime. And rather than, you know, I'm going to be a millionaire, I'm going to do whatever. Honestly, my three biggest goals were the smallest Achievable goals you could possibly get. The first was I'm not going to use drugs and I'm not going to get drunk because that's what put me here. So, those are first off the things I'm going to stay as far away from. So, that was my first goal. And I figured as long as I could do that, I'd get to my second goal, which was uh, let's try to get a real job. I don't need to make $20 an hour. I don't need to make $100 an hour right off the bat. Let's get a job so I can prove myself, so I can start networking. And then, because I knew once you prove yourself and you network, Like I I knew even from in prison, like winners like to help other winners. And I knew if I was just starting and doing little things, I knew some winners in life would look at me and be like, hey, that guy's got to fight to him and I want to help him. And uh, so that's what I was betting on. And I did those things. I successfully stayed drug free when I got out. And I got my first job uh, making, I think it was $10 an hour. But then I did that, I kept applying for jobs. And that's when people started looking at me like, hey, I wanna hire you, I wanna give you a shot. And that's when I started starting my first business and second business and on and on and on.
0: Congrats, that is such an exciting story. And I love that you were able to remain drug-free and alcohol-free and start this new life. And I love that you really took it down to kind of manageable steps where you're like, I just need a $10 an hour job right now. I need to network and I will get there. Because I think a lot of people- you know, just in general, want to just start off at the top and they get frustrated that they're not there. And then it's like this big struggle, but you are really realistic. And like, I just need to start small and keep building and I will get there. And so it sounds like, you know, after a while you were connected, you proved yourself. And at some point you got interested in this wealth building journey. I know right now you are super focused on building wealth and making money. When did that happen? And kind of what is your journey with financial independence and and you know growing wealth.
1: Yeah, and this is one of the most interesting parts of my story because uh I didn't understand money till I was out for a year or two from jail or prison. Um because in jail and prison like money didn't exist. Like the prison economy is based around okay, you have something I want, maybe I want an extra meal or something. So we trade stamps and sodas and food off the commissary like that's or we trade food off the trays for stuff like that's the entire prison economy so i never thought about money that's another thing that i was like way behind in life but one thing that i absolutely loved i, I won't even say love let's say let's say a skill or a lifestyle thing that i i learned to like in prison was nobody was there to tell me what to do um yeah, they told me that I could be in my cell, but nobody was there to tell me I couldn't think about something. Mm-hmm. I couldn't be myself. Like, I got to create those life rules for myself for my first time. Like, even though I was sitting in jail, cell, that was like a silver lining. Like, wow, I no I longer have to pretend I'm somebody I'm not for a boss, for my parents, or not even my parents tried to do it, but I like not pretending. And so I think that independence I actually found in my prison cell, like being able to read what I wanted to read and learn. So when I got out, like I still wanted that independence not to have to be dependent on somebody or to do something I didn't want to do. I didn't want to work for a boss that made me have goals that I didn't care about. And so I think immediately it was just a logical step of if I don't, uh, the only reason you need a job is to have money. But if you can learn to manage your own finances and make money by yourself, like I could be independent for the rest of my life. Like that's what it was all about to me. So I got my first job, made better job, and then I probably helped that I lived in prison forever and didn't need a lot to be happy. So <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, I don't know what the medium income is in uh the 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 country. What is it sixty thousand dollars or something like that? Something so,
0: around that, yeah.
1: So even if you're making median, like I was like, Man, I could easily live on like 30 with an old car and a a modest house to start with. And so when you start saving, you know, around 30 grand a year, like that started adding up really, really quick.
0: I love that, you know, you kind of spent 10 years in prison where you had this duality of like, you didn't have freedom of choice to where you go and location and you're kind of confined to the space, but you also found a lot of freedom in, you know, people aren't telling me what to do. I can read what I want. I can think what I want. And then, you know, you get out of prison and then you still have this like voracious desire for freedom. And I think when we talk about money, money is the best thing to buy freedom because it buys choices, it buys opportunities, it gives you your time back. And I love that you've kind of just doubled down on this freedom journey as it relates to building wealth and money.
1: Yeah, it, I'm so glad so we can go deeper on this. The weird, at least from my experience, because I tried to use prison time uh, to the best of my benefit. And the weird thing about prison time for me was I had zero physical freedom. I couldn't leave my 10 by 5 cell, whatever it was, 10 by 6. I don't even know. I couldn't leave there. I couldn't go where I wanted. I couldn't eat what I wanted. I couldn't dress how I wanted. I couldn't interact with the people I wanted to interact with. But I had all the mental freedom that I could ever ask for. I didn't have to be anywhere. I didn't have to, you know, make a wage to pay anything. I I could think for the first time in my life how I wanted to. And I don't know if it was because of my situation, but I fell in love with that. And then when I got out, it took me a little while, you know, to save my first 100. You know, I started small, remember, like. I didn't start saving a hundred grand at first. It was say my first hundred dollars. And then I worked a little harder and say my first thousand dollars. And then I saved my first 10,000 and I learned how to invest that 10,000 and bought a house and then bought a rental property. And, and it was never to get rich. So I could buy this expensive thing. It was always that I wanted to be independent to think and to act and ultimately how to find my vision of happiness Money was never about things to me. It was always about how can I try to be happier? And money freed everything up choices, mindset so I could really seek for what made me the most happy in life.
0: Oh, I love that. I think it's such a transformative experience and you know, you've really done such a fabulous job of taking this incredibly traumatic horrific experience and kind of turned it around and start started over and now you're building wealth and you're doing so well. And so You know, I wanted to end the show on getting your advice for someone that may be currently abusing drugs and alcohol. Maybe they're dealing with a huge life change that they feel like they can't get out of or or they're grappling with a huge decision that will have an impact on the rest of their life. What advice would you give someone dealing with that?
1: Well, I, I think the first step is to slow down. I mean, if you could take any, you know, what worked for me in my experience was even though it was jail, it was a moment to slow down. And then the next step is just slow down and then to figure out who do I want to be and really evaluate your life of, you know, what is making me happy and what is making me stressed. And once you kind of weigh those in, you can almost do it like a pro and a con chart of, you know, in the center, who do I want to be? What makes me happy and what makes me stressed, And then almost go line item by line item and slowly try to chip away at the things that make you stressed and unhappy. And when that number goes down, actually look on the other side and say, okay, what makes me happy? And try to add some of the energy to building those things that, that bring you peace and happiness. I mean, that's ultimately what I did for 10 years straight, just alone in my cell, really going, who do I want to be? What are the skills I should practice and develop to help me become that person? You know, those are actionable steps. It's not like, oh, I want to be, you know, just fantasizing. I want to be that. It was like, no, that's who I want to be. What are the skills that will help, you know, take me like a ladder to that person? And then uh, just removing the things and starting simple. Like before I saved $1,000, I saved $100. Before I saved $100, I started $10. Um, you know, we're about to close on our third rental property. You know what? The really? first, yeah, that's super exciting. And like before I had three, I bought my first house, you know? So it was, it was, some, it was starting small and you can always go bigger once you go small.
0: I'm so glad that you mentioned that because I feel like in personal finance, particularly if you're a low income earner or you're in debt or you're having some kind of financial struggle in any kind of way, it's easy to feel like, why should I even do this? Because I can't save a hundred dollars. I can't save a thousand dollars, but most people can at least save $5 or $10 and, you know, start there. And then I love what you said about kind of really deciding who you wanted to be and trying to reverse engineer that and say, what are the steps that I need to take to actually get there? Because I feel like a lot of people who are on this kind of self-actualization journey have this reckoning of, I need to divorce myself from who I was and who I was conditioned to be and all these thoughts that were kind of implanted in my mind growing up and in society and growing into who I actually want to be and who I am on my own.
1: Yeah. And something else I've wanted to add and, and go off of too is, you know, I don't want you to think that I knew who I wanted to be all this time because that can be overwhelming. Like what is my yeah. purpose? Who am I going to be? And then like, I, I've been married for, I think, uh, six years now. And my wife suffered with that. Is she was so overwhelmed with who I want to be that it was almost paralyzing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so it's okay to not know. But at least what worked for me was I didn't know who I wanted to be, but I knew the type of man I wanted to be. I didn't want to be a liar anymore. Um, I didn't want to have to fake my way through life anymore. Like that's what I'm talking about. I didn't know what career I wanted or what industry I wanted to work for or how much money I wanted to make. Yeah. I just knew like the type of human being I wanted to be. And I knew if I could become that, then everything else would kind of just take care of itself.
0: Ah, I love that. And that is so inspiring. And I know our listeners are going to connect with your story and feel so inspired. And, you know, I wanted to ask, do you have any kind of final thoughts or anything else that you'd love to share with the mental health and wealth audience?
1: Don't be afraid of great, awesome visions that you've always seen yourself and never be afraid to take that first step. Uh, You summed it up by saying, you know, you could save the $5, you know, you break my life story down and say, how did this guy survive 10 years in prison? And it was really as easy as I made it through the first day. I fell asleep. I got up and I just tried to be a little bit better than the guy was before the previous day. Fell asleep again. The next day I said, well, I'm going to try to be a little bit better than I was the guy the second day in. And before I know it, 3,000 days went past and I was a much better man when I walked out ready to accomplish all the dreams I had in life over a 10-year period than I was the first day that I went in. And I'll ultimately end with, they say like people, they underestimate what they can do in a, I'm sorry, they overestimate what they can do in a year, but they underestimate what they can do in a decade. Um, And I've had, I've had two decades to make all this change in my life. Don't expect it to happen overnight. But when you make 10-year goals, like one day at a time and you can get there.
0: Ah, I love that. And thank you so much for sharing all of this. And I think it's so inspiring and wonderful. If people want to connect with you, where can they find you?
1: Yeah. So I I still have the blog up at Wealth Well Done. And feel free to send me an email through the blog thing. And I try to update it every once in a while. So um, I'm around. I'm on Twitter probably most often. So just go to Wealth Well Done. Follow me there. Say hi. And we'll, we'll go from there or ask me any questions there.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Melody.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the Mental Health and Wealth Show. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe and leave a review. If you want to suggest a topic or simply say hello, you can reach me at mentalhealthandwealthshow at gmail.com. You can check out the rest of our content at mentalhealthandwealth.com. And lastly, I want to remind you to do something for yourself to take care of your mental health and wealth.